following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Thank you for being here this morning and enjoying and celebrating Jesus Christ's resurrection with us today. He rose the grave, grave and death he conquered. That is why we meet this morning, because our Savior did not stay in the tomb. He couldn't. He beat death and sin and hell, and he rose again to be our loving and glorious Savior, Savior who did not then just live his life out and die again on earth, but rather ascended to the Father on high so that he could make intercession for us this morning and this afternoon and last night and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. He continually ever intercedes for us because of his work. So we enjoy this time together. We sang songs. That's to him, but it's also to one another as we preach the gospel to one another, as we sing to each other and speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That is for our good, for us to worship together. We read the text together. We pray. Those are all to draw our hearts together as we commune with each other and with God in his presence so that we might remember our most glorious king. What we're going to do now is also worship the teaching and preaching and explanation of the Word of God. So this is not me doing this. Remember that this is actually our corporate worship. It's worship because we are proclaiming the excellency of Jesus Christ to each other. I now have this opportunity to share this passage with us. But it is your job to listen and think about and then be ready to talk with each other and apply it and ask, was, was this right? This text, was this right? What's going on in here and there? And at the end of the day to say, good night. Jesus is awesome. There is no one else like him. That is why we gather this morning, so that we might see and taste and know that the Lord is good. And so that then we may react as this part, and as we dig into this in worship. So we worship this morning together. Um, originally, I, was, I had planned to be this morning, some may know this, I had planned to be in James. Um, however, I can only say that it's either my stupidity or the Lord's working in my heart, and I think it's probably both, but to lead me away from starting there today. As I've been working through this, I realized that where we need to start is actually here in, in Matthew 22. And it'll become apparent as we get there in a moment. So it'll be a little different than what I thought what we were going to do. And we will start most likely James next week. But I think what we need to do is put our first things first. And understand what I mean when we read this passage. Matthew 22, verse 34, and we'll go through verse 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to be eager listeners this morning? May we have ears to hear. May you speak to us through your servant this morning. Through your perfect servant, Jesus Christ, as he explains these words to us. And then me, that I would be able to get out of the way and you would be able to speak to us what you are trying to speak to us through this passage. 
May you give us hearts that are not stony and full of unbelief, but rather hearts that have repented and want to repent and see you work and change us, not conquered by pride and being the same as we always have been, but rather ever-changing to be more like Jesus Christ with the humility to listen to your word and obey. I pray that you would do this work in our hearts. I pray that you would be on us as hearers, that your spirit would be at work to be convicting us of sin and encouraging us to trust and love and glory and treasure Jesus Christ. We love you. We praise your name today together. In Jesus' name, amen. Our gospel is not the gospel of the second great commandment. What we preach today is not something where we we skip past the first and we get to the second, love your neighbor as yourself. Many other religions and and, and many other ways around the world say that's one of the highest good, to put others before yourself, to make sure that you do that so that you're always serving others. But that's actually not what Jesus says. Oftentimes our tendency is to believe and not to do. We struggle with the doing part, to to actually put it into practice and do. We're preparing to enter the book of James, and if you know anything about James, you realize that's one of his main points, is to remind us that faith, real true faith, ends in action, not nothing. That's dead faith, which actually isn't faith at all. So we realize that oftentimes this is our struggle, and we have to spur each other on, and true faith in Christ will result in action. But we spend much time, and we will, by the way, we will spend much time working on this thought and making sure that we go back to it and remembering that we need to do then. However, uh, one of the problems here for us is that, that we get hung up on that part and we forget that it's bigger than that. The second commandment really is not easy. In fact, it consistently shows us how much we don't measure up and how much we actually can't do the law at all. How many times have we found ourselves confessing to one another and to God our struggle and our rebellion of anger and pride and selfishness and lust and laziness and envy? How do we counsel each other in those situations? What happens there? What's the problem that we we can't seem to obey the second commandment? Because that's what all these that I just talked about all have to do with loving your neighbor. As I've considered this idea and this task of obeying the second commandment, I've realized that in and of ourselves, we can't do it. We actually don't have the ability to do this. Instead, we love ourselves, and we often pursue the things that matter to us. Uh, in fact, what we, we want to do sometimes is come back to the, the counseling table or discussion in our small groups and we encourage each other to better works. And you know, you, you know, we know that the sign of true discipleship is doing these things. And that's true. But then we counsel each other incorrectly sometimes. So go out and do it, brother. Go out and love your neighbor as yourself. Go out and be the good Samaritan. But we forget even the good Samaritan story when, that, when Jesus uses this parable, it's in the context in Luke 10, 25-37, in the context of the whole law being summed up in two commands. Well, he calls it the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Again, many world religions and clubs and even scientists have shown and agree with and even promote love for other people, altruism, loving your neighbor as yourself. And it's the highest good that you can perform. 
The Shriners, you probably have heard of them, a group says, no man stands so tall as when he stoops to help a child. Gandhi himself said, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Uh, a, a magazine called The Greater Good out of Berkeley uh, published an article recently that said, two recent uh, studies suggest that giving to others makes us happy, even happier than spending on ourselves. There are many who understand the benefits of doing good for others. It's also, also sometimes corporate goals to be altruistic and philanthropic and help others in that way. But make no mistake, Gandhi's principle and the second command by Jesus are not the two different simple ways of saying the same thing. They are very different. Religion, philosophy, scientists say, start with loving others. Jesus says, no, start by loving God. I fear that what we do, what I do, is we often get a problem here in a category shift and we we think of the first commandment as a category rather than an active command for us to be doing. And what I mean by that is we think of the first command as kind of a type of transaction. When we were saved, and, and now, that we are, you know, now that we are, we're automatically in, and we are qualified based on that one-time obedience to the first command. And so we move past that and trying for the rest of our Christian lives to obey the second command and love our neighbor as ourselves. If you remember correctly, throughout all the Old Testament, Israel struggled with this as well. They knew their identity, and that's the problem. They kept it as a category, the people of God. Obviously, since they're a people of God, they must have loved God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And so they moved on from that to fulfill the rest of the commandments, to love their neighbor as himself and try to work that out and try to continue to do the law. But over and over and over again, we see that their mistake is not fearing, not loving, not submitting and obeying the, to the Lord Jesus, excuse me, to the Lord their God. That is a constant problem for them because they misplace that and think of it more as a category than love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So the problem is sometimes we're actually even worse than them. We think of ourselves and assume the position that it's based on some time of one-time lifetime uh, membership fee that we have paid, and then we're card-carrying members the rest of our lives of the Jesus Club. And we, we, we really don't contact customer service unless we have some sort of problem or like it's time for membership due fees, something like that. Because we're very American and we kind of assume that type of a, a thinking. And we forget that the first great commandment is not remember that you're part of the club, no, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. In other words, often we can despise God as an entity or a category rather than a person, one who gave himself for us. Hopefully as good members, and I, I mean this sincerely, we try to do things that match up with this Jesus Club values, this church. We try to do good things and, and love other people and, and come on a regular basis. Um, and then oftentimes, we pursue the second commandment with great vigor as to forget the first one, as to forget a pursuit of God himself. At best, sometimes we're wasting our time spinning our wheels, trying to obey, but neglecting, as James puts it, our friendship with God. At worst, we're like those in Matthew 7. If you remember this passage, it's one of the most terrifying in all the scriptures. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? All this stuff that we did, we did so much stuff for you. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The people being confronted are declaring, didn't we do all this good stuff for you, Lord? I mean, I could list so many things. Did you notice Jesus didn't even respond to that like, and even deal with their doing and all their stuff and their performance? He goes straight to the relationship and says, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I've never had any sort of relationship with you. You are not mine. I don't know you. I've pointed out then that there are two categories. One that we'll get to in a moment, but the, the second one I just talked about. Amongst us today, there may be some who do not actually trust and know God as their Savior. It may be you. You may not know Him. You may think you do, and you may think that you'll do a lot of doing. You come to church on a regular basis, and you do good works, and that, you know, I'm trying to follow the second commandment. So if I'm trying to follow the second commandment, I must be a first commandment person. I must be a person of God. The problem is you have not trusted God, and you have not loved Him with your heart, soul, and mind. Forget the second for a moment. If you don't have the first things first, you can't even do the second. And so my, my plea to you this morning is, listen, repent and believe the gospel. This is something that you, this is what all of life is actually about. That the king who made you wants you to flourish. So much so that he answered sin by sending his own son to the cross to die, to give his life for ours, to pay for our sin, to die the death that you and I deserve as punishment for our rebellion against him. He cannot stand for it. And so there must be punishment. It's either you or Jesus. So here, this morning, friend, repent and believe the gospel. It is for your greatest good. And you will flourish in this. Jesus gave himself for you. And then there are the rest of us. And I want to be careful here. I am called to remind us <laughs> the things that Jesus is working in me. I am not saying broad brush, everyone's in this terrible sin category. What I am saying is that we often struggle to fall into this other category where we treat this relationship as a category versus a relationship, a command to follow and to love and to know God. So I'm preaching the rest of us who want to, as our church purpose statement says, be complete in Christ, be mature. So I'm reminding us to go back and look at this and say, Jesus says the first thing, the greatest commandment, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Because I think that what I have done, and I think that we do sometimes, is assume that we're doing the first commandment. We struggle to obey the second commandment because we aren't obeying the first. And if this is true, then it does us well to listen to what Jesus has told us in this passage. Let's look again at this passage. In the two previous paragraphs, we've seen that Jesus is sparring with the prominent religious leaders. Remember this? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, back and forth, back and forth. And what's happening is, if you remember from Mark, they're constantly getting back to this issue of who has the real authority. Is it the Sadducees? Is it the Pharisees? Is it the Zealots? Is it Jesus? Who is the one who actually has the real authority? Whose teaching is correct, is right? And Jesus continues to astonish the crowds with his teaching and with his authority, truly. And so the Pharisees desire to use this success, if they can, 
to make him choose a theological side. The lawyer says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? They want him to offer some sort of ranking or priority of the 613 Old Testament commandments. Which one is most important, Jesus? And as you and I know about life, if you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to the other things. And that's exactly what's happening here. This is a test. If he says one thing, perhaps another theological camp will say, ah, but we don't agree with that. He's saying something against the others. How dare you say something against my other 612 commands, that that could somehow be the priority. And so this is a test. But Jesus, notice, he does not hesitate, doesn't falter. He answers them right away. He doesn't deflect it, because often sometimes in Jesus' teaching, he will deflect one by saying, you're missing the, the, the point. Let me ask you a different question. The question they're asking, in fact, is an excellent question. It's a good question, whether they know it or not. Jesus doesn't hesitate. Rather, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What is it all about, this first commandment? What's it all about? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jordan read us the context of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Do you remember this? This is when Moses is declaring to them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is covenant language of his people and the covenant that they are making together. In other words, listen to this. They're saying, Moses is saying, Yahweh is your God, Israel, alone. And there's no other one. All the rest are so-called gods. All the rest are made of molten metal. All these other ones are different things. They're not God at all. But Yahweh, he is your God. And he's God alone. There's no other. In covenant terms, what Moses is doing is calling them to their legal obligations of obedience and loyalty to God, asking them to commit themselves to him and no other. It's unqualified submission to and loyalty to their one and true husband, God. If you've been to a wedding ceremony, you've probably heard this phrase, forsaking all others. Same type of idea going on here. It's probably one of the most powerful analogies that we can use right now. This marriage relationship, and it's not mine to use. Uh, if you look at Hosea, that uses it. Song of Songs uses it. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. This is a legitimate way to look at this relationship, this covenant, except, of course, it's more than that because between a man and a woman, two sinners have all kinds of different struggles. We're talking about God of the universe who created us, who not only is perfect and pure, but then gave himself for us. He is wanting a relationship with you. And he's not like begging for it. He is working in all these things and offers and calls us to be in this relationship with him. And so the preaching of the word this morning is that call. So listen. But as he does this, he remembers, we remember that this relationship between God and his people is often expressed in terms of marriage. And in terms of marriage, oftentimes we see joy, strong feelings of positivity, and even ecstasy that we enjoy in a marriage relationship. However, if I was to call you this morning to positive feelings and joy and ecstasy toward God, I think that we'd have rampant insincerity and failure to comply because it's, is that what we're really being asked to do? Is God asking, is Jesus asking us, is Moses asking us to have strong emotional feelings and ties toward our God? My answer is no. If I were to ask you again, those who are married here, 
or understand marriage. If I was said, you need to love your spouse, give yourself over to loving your spouse, you would not start, I doubt, with trying to hype yourself up about emotional feelings towards that person. The first thing that we understand about true love is that it's a choice to put one in forsaking all others, that that is your one that you will give yourself to. In a marriage covenant relationship, you have given yourself over truly in, in, in absolute loyalty to one person. That's helpful in our position here to understand this, this covenant that we're talking about. Again, Jesus is telling us to do this, but is, is this some sort of choice or is it an emotion? What's going on? Beginning by understanding this marriage relationship, we realize that we're not talking about hyping ourselves up or getting in a worship service more often and raising our hands more often, but rather understanding the relationship that we have to this person, God alone. is an absolute devotion and singular commitment to that one person. So this relationship, this covenant relationship, demands love for with all of one's being for God. You, you notice that by looking at the rest of the context. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You could spend like a whole sermon on this, but to wrap it up, every part of you is to be devoted over to a relationship and knowing and trusting and loving and obeying God. And I put one more word in there, treasuring God. I'll get to that in a minute. Every scrap of our being, our talents, our affections, our time, our money, our effort, our thinking, all of it belongs to God and God alone. But notice that he, asked, he was asked a singular question, right? But what does he do? He gives what looks like, and I would say again, what looks like a plural answer. All right, so he says, first, love God. And the second is like unto it. Love others as you love yourself. But don't miss this. Verse 39, if you look at it, is a very important. He just comes off and saying this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. This is a connector to show us that what Jesus is saying, these commands are part and parcel of what it means to follow the law. He's showing that these two commandments belong together. They're seemingly plural, but he is pointing out that they cannot be separated. That to obey these commands is to be in step with the one who made mankind to be the way they are to flourish as human beings under God's good rule, the way that he made it for Adam and Eve. In fact, he explains to us in verse 40 that on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. The first and the second command, this is the essence and the foundation of obeying God. All the rest of the Old Testament is commentary, helping you understand what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. All of that hangs on it. So we must understand it. And in Jesus' wisdom and his rightness, he shows that these two commandments belong together. The second is only the second because of the supremacy of God. He has never deserved to be second. But we don't want to misunderstand this. They are to be together. The first can only properly be lived out by doing the second. You can't do the other one. And the second can only properly be done by obeying the first. Now that we've kind of gone through the Abbott and Costello scene, well, let's try to understand this again, and let me explain a few things. There's absolutely no way to do the second commandment properly without obeying the first commandment. They are part and parcel together. The ability for you and me to love our neighbor is not in us. It's not something that we develop and like, hopefully, okay, I'm going to go out and serve and love my neighbor. 
only through a right relationship with God and all of its benefits can you love your neighbor as Jesus is calling you to love him. There is a priority of obedience and love to God. And then what flows out of that is love for your neighbor. But if we cut this tie here and start here, we have a huge problem. We're just like the rest of the world, trying to do good and always, almost always failing. There are glimpses of God's good grace in that. I'm not, I'm not saying that's not true. What I am saying is it does not please God. What does please Him is knowing and loving Him first. And as He works, we naturally understand that it is to us to love our neighbor as ourselves. They are part and parcel. How then, if this is true, if it's true that we have to have a right relationship with God to love our neighbor, how do we have this right relationship with Him? It may sound slightly different from what the people of Israel might expect, but in essence, it's the exact same thing. The way to have this right relationship with God and all of its benefits can only be found in knowing Him. As New Testament saints, knowing Him through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about some general knowledge, this comprehension of a, you know, a theological system. We're talking about a covenant relationship with the one who loved and gave himself for us. We can only know him through his gracious gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we can know him. Not by law keeping, and by the way, not by loving your neighbor. We've never earned our relationship with God. Never. We know these verses. It's by grace that we've been saved. It is by God's loving choice that we know God. It was by Him adopting us as sons through the gift of faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, that we know Him. And now, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. We can only have this right relationship by knowing, fearing, loving, trusting, and treasuring Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, as our God. We must, therefore... Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Now, some of you may be asking, if, if you're following along, you're saying, okay, you just went from love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind to treasure Jesus Christ above all others and knowing him, trusting him, obeying him. Is that legitimate, that jump, to make that jump? Is that a fair connection for us to say that exclusive loyalty and joy in Jesus Christ is the same as obeying the first commandment? Absolutely. Yes, it is. I'll tell you why. John 1.14, you'll know all these verses. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Luke 24.27, Jesus is walking the road to Emmaus, and he explains to these people who he is. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And very pertinent to our context, Matthew 5, 17 through 18, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until, the heaven, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the scriptures, and he stands as God revealed in the world in human flesh. He is the same God who took Israel from Egypt, gave them the law, spoke to them through the prophets. But in these last days, 
think Hebrews with me. He has spoken to us through the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature, Jesus Christ. It is the same God that we understand to be the one who took his people out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt. The same God who spoke to the prophets, now revealed in the radiance of his glory and exact imprint, Jesus Christ. Yes, it is right for us to love the Lord our God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And this means that we must fully trust, obey, and treasure Jesus Christ. My goal this morning was not to give you the three steps to help you be a better Good Samaritan. That may be helpful for us, and we'll probably work on some of those things. That's, that's good. It was not to say louder and louder that you ought to love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor, love, love, love. The goal this morning for us to come back and make sure that we are putting first things first. This is all in the context. When we preach James, that is all in the context of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. None of that can be separated or else it is what one of the writers says is filthy rags. All our righteousness and good deeds, it's useless. In fact, it's revolting to him. So my call to us today is, brothers and sisters, we have to put first things first. We must love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Living a certain good way can only flow from an interchange from and a connection to the source of all good, God himself. Do not assume then that you're doing the first commandment simply by doing good works or calling yourself a Christian. Some of you have not trusted Jesus with your life. There are some of you here today that fit that category, that are doing and doing and doing good things, and your righteousness is nothing because you don't know God. And I've already said it, but I'll say it again. Hear and listen. Jesus has given himself because you couldn't pay for your salvation by doing enough good stuff. You never could. That is why Jesus came. He didn't come to be a good example so that we could be more like him in doing the good things. That's why we wear a cross on a necklace. That's why a cross is our symbol because he came to die a death that we were going to die ourselves and go to hell and be removed from him forever in rebellion against him. He died our death, though, so that we might have a relationship and be reconciled to the Father. Praise God. So, if you hear, listen, I plead with you, friend. Listen to the gospel. It is good news to you. It is not a chain around your neck. It is God's good news and freedom so that you might know him and actually flourish and actually know him. And for the rest of us, I believe that that is actually probably the majority that are here, that do know God and love him and, and are trying as best as we can to love our neighbor. And we, you know what? To be honest, I think we are trying to do this first commandment as well. That's why we gather here together today. The reminder to us is this. Don't slip into that category where we work so hard at the second great commandment that we forget our loyalty and love to the first commandment, which is to know and love and be completely committed to God. We know that best by seeing and savoring Jesus Christ. So, as we wonder how we fight sin, struggling of, of, of envy and lust and anger and bitterness, any of these things that we struggle with to love our neighbor, I'll tell you what's the problem. The problem is that we are sinful, but I'll tell you the next part. The problem is that we don't obey and cherish the first command. We don't love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind. So when those things come up, friends and brothers and sisters, 
Don't try harder to do those things. Repent and ask him to be your greatest joy and treasure. He is the only one that can live in and through us. It's almost like we need to die and he needs to live through us. You ever heard of that, Galatians 2.20? I think you probably have. I'll just read it so you're, you're clear on it. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Just got to keep on doing good stuff. But brothers and sisters, he died for a purpose. You and I cannot save ourselves by loving our neighbor. We must trust him. Through this relationship, we've been crucified with Christ, and it is he who lives in us. I am calling us today, no, Jesus is calling us today to faith and joy in the Son of God. Only in this sphere of obedience can we begin to live as we were made to live and flourish as true children of God. Let's pray together. God, you are gracious to give us your word. We thank you for giving us your word, which shows us our, imp not imp our imperfections, but our absolute rebellion against you. We ask that you would work in us today so that we would not forget the first or assume the first commandment, but Lord, that we would pursue it. And as we walk through James to do this and to do that, that we'd remember that this is all coming out of a relationship with you, that we are empowered only by your work in us, that you would give us affections for you, that we would see through your word and through your spirit's work in others who you are and we would trust you and that our lives would show that we love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind. May we put first things first, God, recognizing that you are the king, not us trying to do good stuff. We ask that you bless this time today together as we gather around your table now remembering Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and glorying it and proclaiming it to each other in the world until you come again. Lord, be at work in our hearts. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to go to Matthew 26 with me. Just a few pages over. I'm going to read an account, just a few short verses. Matthew 26, verse 26 through 28. This is, if you see it in the Bible, it says this is the institution of the Lord's Supper. We're seeing him sit down with his disciples and we get an inner look at what he is saying about this time. As we prepare for communion, to sit at the Lord's table and remember, this is what happens. Verse 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want to point out one thing today. We perform this together, enjoy this together, and I think one of my favorite authors actually said that we act out this parable together because it shows something far greater that we are to remember. Jesus didn't call us to remember the virgin birth or the nativity. He didn't enact some sort of ceremony to do that. He gave us something not to remember his life by. He gave us something in the Lord's Supper to remember his death. For us to see and savor his death, that's weird to us that don't believe. But when we recognize 
That's the, that is the crossroads of our salvation. Without that work, we have nothing. There was no sacrifice that could actually do the work that Jesus had to do. This, we know from Hebrews, none of the blood of the bulls and the goats and the birds and all the stuff that were sacrificed could ever atone for sin. And so what Jesus reminds us to do is he says, take and eat. So we are commemorating that this morning. I want to draw your attention to something, though. See his words here. His words to them says, say this, take, eat, this is my body. And then later on he says, drink of it, all of you. Notice that he doesn't break bread in front of them and lay it on the table or pour out wine in a cup and say, look, this is my blood right here and leave it there. And that somehow that's a great picture and we're all great with that. That's, uh, we'll remember that. He says, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. He says, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it. Paul in 1 Corinthians will show us even more so. He says, I'm going to go there. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17 shows us something even greater than that. He says this is a participation in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says this. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The cup of blessing that we bless, I'm sorry, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake in that one bread. The reminder for us this morning is this. Christ didn't die to universally save all, and it's done. You don't have to trust, you don't have to do any of that, it's all just dropped on you. No. He says, and this is a reminder of our own salvation, take and eat drink of this. We know that he does salvation work in us through faith. It is the accepting of him. We know earlier on when he says to us, drink my blood, eat my flesh. Super weird stuff, right? That's not the point, though, for us to actually take a part of Jesus' skin and eat it. Rather, we're partaking and acting out the parable that we are feeding on him. The, the work that he did on the cross, as we remember his cross work, we realize that we receive that and that it is good. And that because of that, we are nourished in him, reminding us of all the riches we have in Jesus Christ. And so as we do this today, we're going to ask you to take and to receive this gift, reminding each other that we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, not of a work of our own. We've already seen that. It is God's grace to us. But you must receive this good gift. And so that is the remembrance today. Our God, we ask that you would help us to receive this food with gladness. It is your body that has been broken for us and your blood which has been poured out to atone for sins in obedience to the Father, doing the will of God for your glory and for our good. We remember and proclaim it, Father, knowing that it is your good gift to us. We thank you for your love for us and ask as we do this, your blessing would be on us. In Jesus' name.